1450 AM WKXL, 1039 FM in the Concord area, 101.9 FM, our new signal in Manchester. Kale & Company is presented by Weed Family Automotive, 124 Store Street in Concord. You can give them a call and make an appointment at 603-225-7988, weedfamilyautomotive.com. In that uh, very same location since 1995. And with us right now, who has been there every step of the way, is Dan Weed of Weed Family Automotive. Dan, welcome back to the program. Good day, Ken. It's good to be with you again. Always uh, great to be with you. And I thought uh, for a while anyway today, uh, we would focus on cold weather and winter driving because both of those are certainly upon us right now. Oh, we'll call it the hot topic. The hot topic, <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, uh, is it true, Dan, uh, true or false here, that uh, battery power drops as the temperature drops? It does, actually. And, and when we're looking at batteries and, and buying batteries, of course, each car has its own specific requirements. But one of these specifications we look at is a rating called the cold cranking amps of the battery. So... When the battery manufacturers, they have several different uh, ratings for them, but you know they have a reserve capacity, obviously the physical size of the battery, but one of them is a rating for cold cranking amps. So when we test it, we test that battery based on that number of the cold cranking amp rating of the battery. Mm. So what does that tell you? So it, it tells us basically the capacity in cold weather that that battery has to start the car um, and also a reserve capacity. So if you leave the lights on or whatever the reserve capacity says, all right, you can leave the lights on for X number of period of time, mm -hmm. but the, you know, and then the battery will bring itself back. The cold cranking amps gives us the, the actual starting power. How, how much amperage can that battery push out to start the car in extreme cold weather? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, uh, you do hear a lot, hear a lot about cars not being able to start in cold weather. So, uh, can, can you, I mean, without taking it to Weed Family Automotive or any place else, can you check the level of your battery and, and know how strong it may be or not? Not without a piece of testing equipment. So right. So most would, people don't have that. Right. 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 <laughs> uh, you would need a, a load tester or an electronic battery tester to be able to really test that battery. Yeah. Uh, you know, unfortunately, one of the things is you get in the car and it doesn't start. You get that yeah. click, 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 uh, or, yeah. or nothing happens. Lights don't come on. Right. Um, but right now, uh, we're running into situations where, you know, a battery used to last five to six years. Mm -hmm. But with all the electronics in the car these days, we're seeing battery life diminish quite a bit. Really? Yeah. Uh, in that three to four year range now. So we, we've lost a couple of years on the battery. But we're starting to see on the other end of it, the manufacturers go to different style batteries. We, Your average everyday battery is what we call a uh, a lead acid battery and it's a flooded battery we're starting to see the manufacturers go to what they call a glass mat battery so it really doesn't have a liquid in it uh, and you get more reserve capacity and more cranking amps out of that glass mat battery uh, the downside is it comes with a price tag yeah i'm sure uh, like most things do uh, that uh, are worth anything at all, like like that uh, that newfangled battery. You just uh, <laughs> you, you, it, has it been on the market very long? Actually, it's been out for quite a while. Oh, really? uh, yeah. one, probably one of the brand names people would recognize as the Optima battery, okay. um, yeah. and it's got a whole different style and shape to it. Uh, but your average everyday car now, uh, 
a lot of them are coming with that glass mat technology, oh, really? particularly yeah. the cars with the start-stop technology. So you pull up to the traffic light, it idles for a minute, and then it shuts off, mm-hmm. uh, which to me is still troublesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you're starting to see, because that car starts and stops a hundred times more than it used to with that technology in it. And so they have to build a very robust starter system, alternator system, and as well a battery to go with it too. So... How long can, generally speaking, whether it be cold weather or warm weather or anything in between, uh, can a battery sustain lights uh, being on if you're away from the vehicle? If you go into the grocery store and forget to shut your lights off, how long does it take for that battery to drain? If it's the headlights that are on, uh, you probably have an hour to maybe two. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that long? Uh, okay. If the battery is good. If the battery's good. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> There's the caveat right there. Yeah. If the battery is good right. to begin with. So. And, and so that actually happened to uh, my mother-in-law not long ago. They went to the grocery store, left the lights on, came back out, car's dead. But that battery was just going on five years old. Oh, okay. Exactly, right? Yeah. So she got a new battery out of the deal. <laughs> but if it's a relatively new battery, it might be able to get two. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. And of course, a lot of cars now, probably most cars now, uh, if you uh, you know click your your key fab, it it won't lock if the lights are on. So some of them are set up that way, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and or the cars have enough technology in them these days that it sees that constant battery draw mm-hmm. and it starts to shut down modules based on what it sees. So after ten or fifteen minutes, the lights may go out on their own anyway yeah. because the body control models module says, "Oh yeah, these lights are still on. It's going to kill the battery. We're going to shut these off regardless of." what's happening right right. and then when you go to restart the car reset the system and come back on yeah dan weed is with us and uh, dan we probably don't give too much thought to the cooling system of of the vehicle during cold weather but how important is the cooling system in cold weather Uh, very 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 important (laughs) Uh, critical at that Uh, but the protection in the cooling system is probably one of the key points is to make sure the antifreeze is good to at least 30 below is what we look for um, if you get more than that, great, but you know, obviously at 30 below, um, you know, I'm thinking about moving somewhere warmer anyway, but they're talking about those temperatures in our near future. So, yes, indeed. Um, we'll find out a, in the next couple of days, how good your battery was and how good your antifreeze was or wasn't. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So speaking of, uh, antifreeze, what do you suggest in the cold weather? Uh, so this is one of those pieces of our everyday life in the automotive world that has dramatically changed. So we used to have one type of antifreeze that did everything for us, mm-hmm. you know, the, your yeah. standard green antifreeze. Yeah. Now we have probably five to six different types of antifreeze that are out there. So the manufacturers have mandated based on their engine design, specific coolant requirements or antifreeze requirements for each engine. So if you've got a, a European car, a Volvo, a Volkswagen, Audi, they take a certain type of antifreeze. Your General Motors, uh, typically they like to use the Dexcool, which is something GM came out with back in the 90s. Um, then you get uh, some of the others that use a low phosphate antifreeze. So I would tell you to use what the manufacturer recommends for antifreeze. And, and how often uh, should it be flushed or changed? Uh, again, that has changed too. I mean, we used to do that yeah. you know, typically every two to three years. Yeah. Uh, and now... The antifreeze is a long life antifreeze, and t- typically we'll see it go a hundred thousand miles. Okay, so yeah. you don't have to think about it too much then. Not too often, no. no. Okay. So how do you know 
Uh, I mean, other than taking it into, uh, you know, uh, a garage like yours, uh, you know, if you if you need it, if you need antifreeze, how, how do you know? Are there any uh, palpable signs of that? Well, so the easiest way in most of the cars is you have a, a reservoir for the antifreeze. It's mm-hmm. typically a clear or white plastic reservoir that you can see the level in. Mm-hmm. And so that's the quick and easy way to check it. And you have to be careful, though. So if you're going to take the cover off, make sure the engine is cold because they do build pressure when they're hot. Uh, and if you take that cover off when it's hot, you run the risk of getting burnt with a, a hot antifreeze. So you have to be real careful with that and best to check it cold. And you'll be able to see that level in the reservoir. If that reservoir is empty, then take the radiator cap off and see if you can ch- look inside the radiator. Again, making sure that it is cold. Uh, and obviously, if you are low on antifreeze, then the there's a leak somewhere within that system. Maybe something as simple as a hose clamp that's missing or broken uh, or a water pump radiator that's leaking. But that's where we would bring it in, fill the system up, pressure test it, and look for those leaks. Tires, of course, uh, a big deal. How many people use uh, snow tires? A lot of people, I know you have people like uh, even in October come into your shop and have the snow tires put on. Yeah, fall is our busy season for yeah. snow tires. And actually, probably more than you realize, a lot of the people that need to be out uh, every day for work or whatever typically have snow tires or really good all-season tire. But yeah. more and more, we're seeing people go to the snow tires. Uh, the ad, you know, the advantage to it is that much better traction. Uh, we're still doing studded snow tires. That's very popular, although this year has been a bit of a challenge with the supply chain and whatnot. Yeah. We, we're typically waiting up to a month to get uh, tires studded for the snow season. So, uh, but you, you do have two good options there. You know, obviously studded snow tires, uh, especially based on what we've had for recent weather mm-hmm. and the ice that, you know, sure. you know, granted ice, you don't get much traction anyway, but the studs will help you. And then the regular snow tires is your other option. If you don't have to be out and about as much, then a really good all season tire is not a bad option either. What about uh, the supply chain as far as tires are concerned? We talked about parts uh, the last time around. Uh, I don't know if we specifically mentioned tires, but what about tires and their availability? We have to be careful with what we're doing. There's certain sizes that we just can't get right now or we're waiting up to two or three weeks for them. Uh, We had one situation recently where I think it was almost a month and a half before we could get that specific size tire. Mm. Uh, So we're seeing supply chain issues all over the place. It's starting to get a little bit better, okay. uh, but certainly nowhere near what we've been accustomed to. Uh, you know, the warehouses, warehouse workers, uh, and manufacturers were all struggling uh, to be able to keep that parts inventory up to where it should be. Many people, of course, as you mentioned, uh, use the all-season tires, uh, which are good, probably not as good as snow tires because of the uh, tread depth. Uh, but uh, what kind of tread should you have on your all-season tires if you want to be sure to be you know, on the safe side for winter and icy driving? Sure. I mean, so they've got several different tire types out there for all-season, and you can get some that are, they call winter-rated, if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, are just a, a decent tread pattern. Uh, and the key to it is the compound, you know, so we don't often think about this between the winter tires and the summer tires, Everybody focuses on the tread pattern, Mm. but that tread also comes with a compound change within the rubber. So your winter tire is typically a little bit on the softer side for better grip and traction than the summer tires are all season, which is going to have a harder tread 
pattern to it. So that's one of the considerations that you look at is the, the tread wear rating and uh, the hardness of that compound. And we had a, a display years ago from one of the tire manufacturers that showed the difference between you know a regular summer tire, an all-season tire, and then a winter tire and the compound uh, difference. And you, you could actually feel it in, in the samples that they had given us. And it was pretty amazing to see uh, the difference. And then you start to look at the tread wear. You know, obviously, a winter tire is not going to have as good a tread wear rating or, or tire wear rating mm -hmm. as an all-season or a summer tire. So that's one consideration, too. Mm -hmm. Now, what about tire pressure? Uh, tire pressure drops as the temperature drops. Yes, True? yes, yeah. and that will trip your low tire pressure system light. Right, or your TPM, light will come on. TPMS yeah. light, yeah. And so, uh, so your low tire light will come on. And, and it's not unusual, especially given the temperature swings that we see in New England, uh, to see as much as a 4, 5, or 6 PSI difference. Really? In the cold Sounds weather. like a lot. It is. Yeah. It's dramatic. Um, you know, I don't, I don't even think Tom Brady had that difference <laughs> in pressure, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the temperature affects the pressure in the tire uh, a, a great deal. And we will equate this to the NASCAR and the guys in the racing, you know. They'll adjust tire pressures in a pit stop as little as a quarter to a half a PSI to affect the way the car handles. Mm. Now we're talking in our everyday car, a tire pressure swing of five and six PSI, which is dramatic. And so wow. that affects, you know, handling, it affects fuel mileage, it affects a lot of different things. And obviously triggers that silly light on your dash too. Yeah. Um, and the way you throw the football. Right, exactly. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> Not enough grip. <laughs> Get a grip. <laughs> so so sh should people take swift action when, when they see that, when they see that light come on? I, I think pulling at their... Local place where they get air in their tires and uh, and uh, fill them up. Sure. Yeah. Um, and he, here's the catch to all this, though, is that, again, back in the day, we set every single tire was set to 30 or 32 PSI. Now. Now, uh, you have to look at the placard on the door. So if you open the driver's door, there's a yeah. little, you know, uh, table right there that tells you what the tire pressure should be set at. And as I've been working a lot in the shop recently... Uh, it's amazing to see the difference in tire pressures from car to car. Mm -hmm. I found, you know, the more common is that 30 to 33 PSI, uh, but I've seen some that have front and rear pressure changes. So the front should be 30, the back 33. I've seen 35. I had one car that was as high as 40 PSI. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you get into the truck world with the uh, load range E tires or even some of the trailer tires, and you're putting 50 to 80 PSI into some of these tires. And that's, you know, for your average everyday car, you get into the, the big truck world and you're, you know, into the 100 PSI range. Mm, that is something. So uh, I think some people's uh, concern is that they might overinflate yes, their tires. Right. And what, what happens in that scenario? So in that case, you know, if you leave it overinflated, you'll prematurely wear that tire out. So as you build pressure up in the tire, it creates a high spot in the center of the tire and you wear that tire out a lot faster. Uh, conversely, you run a tire low and you for a long period of time and you wear the outside edges more as well as if it's really low, you'll actually uh, damage the sidewall in the tire. So how do you know uh, if you don't have a, a contraption? How do you know what, the, <laughs> what, what PSI your, your tire is at? 
uh, without a gauge, yep, without you, a gauge. you don't know. You know, a gauge is the word I yes, was looking so the for. The tire pressure that. gauge yes, is, yeah. is, and and you can buy a pretty inexpensive tire pressure gauge at any of the parts stores, or I'm sure hardware stores probably have them and whatnot. Yeah. And keep that in the glove box along with you know maybe your emergency kit and things like that, uh, and be able to check it. So if the low tire light does come on, you have a way to check it. Because I'm not sure that I would trust the uh, reliability of the pressure setting at the gas station uh, air pump. Right. Okay. Or, or the fact if they, they work at all, it's kind of or a Or they even have one. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but that certainly is a concern in the winter, as are uh, wiper blades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, some, I, I know, are uh, more recommended for wintertime use than others. Yeah. So, I mean, we have a, a summer blade and a winter blade. And, you know, that's something we've lived with for many, many years. Yeah. When I went out to visit my brother when he was stationed uh, out at one of the Air Force bases in Nevada. He said, oh yeah, you can, you can borrow my truck. So we jump in the truck and go. And I said, man, these wiper blades are horrible in this thing. I, it never rains out here, so we don't, we don't use them. <laughs> you know, the, the, the blade was just falling off the truck. And I was like, I, I can't do this. <laughs> so, of course, you know, we're driving the truck, and guess what? Yeah, it rains. <laughs> of course. So we stopped yeah. and got them some wiper blades. But they know nothing about winter blades in different parts of the country. Right. Uh, one of the more... Prevalent blades now, rather than going back and forth between a winter and a summer blade, is a beam type blade. And they do different, make different uh, styles of the beam blade. And some of them are designed more for winter and they have a different uh, end cap on them and whatnot. But uh, we don't see that rubber covered winter blade uh, as much anymore. More, more and more often, the manufacturers have gone to a beam type blade. And that's pretty much what we stock at this point. And that can be used all, all year long. All year long, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and how long do the, the, they last? I mean, is it a, a year or does that, it depends that, on use or, you know? Well, like, I think use is a, a key yeah. thing where the car is stored if it's outside in the sun all the time. Yeah. But typically about a year is what you'll get out of a set of wiper blades before they start to streak or break down and whatnot. And, and what about the, uh, I know it varies from season to season, but uh, the uh, windshield uh, washer fluid. Sure. Yeah. I mean, oh. you have... Uh, like the temperatures to uh, like below 250 degrees or whatever. Oh, yeah. my, I, I hope it doesn't get that cold. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of problems yeah, if it does. Yeah, yeah. But no, but, you, you see them like to 50 below and that sort yeah, of thing. And, yeah, and I, I would recommend a minimum of 20 below on your windshield washer fluid rating. If you can get something better than that, you know, you know, 30 or 50 below, uh, that would be that much better because... Uh, again, as we have some winter weather coming up in the next uh, few days here, and they're talking wind chill temperatures of 25 to 30 below at this point. Uh, so you got to stop and think that, yeah, your windshield washer fluid is rated for 20 below at a standstill. But now you get that airflow under the hood and whatnot, right. and that yep. 20 below all of a sudden is just not going to cut it. Yeah. And, and so you see, you know, uh, you know the, the blue fluid, you see the orange fluid. Uh, what, what fluid is best for, for wintertime? I, I think the color di- variation is just that. It's just a color variation. The only one that I know that is truly different is the orange, uh, which is typically the Rain-X brand. Okay. And Rain-X is good stuff. Yes. To put on your windshield. Yep. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I have tried that, and it, uh, it works wonders. So, And I think you were the one who recommended that to me yes, we, uh, many uh, years ago. I, I do put it on a lot of my cars. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, a couple of my guys said, oh, it's just too much work, but they use the, uh, the Rain-X fluid instead, so you don't have to apply it a couple times a year. Right. Dan Weed is with us from uh, Weed Family Automotive, one of our great sponsors here on WKXL and Kale & Company, 124 Store Street 
in Concord. You can call them for an appointment at 603-225-7988, or you can make an appointment online as well at weedfamilyautomotive.com. WKXL, New Hampshire Talk Radio, talking about what matters to you. Welcome back. It's Kale and Company, 1450 AM WKXL, the signal that's been around now close to 76 years, Dan Weed. Longer than us. Uh, 103.9 on the FM dial in the Concord area, 101.9 FM in Manchester as we are reaching places we have never reached before. That's amazing, isn't it? Downtown Manchester, we're booming in there as well as... uh, uh, Bedford and Goffstown and parts of uh, Merrimack and Dunbarton, you name it. Uh, Weed Family Automotive sponsoring the show, presented by uh, Weed Family Automotive at 124 Store Street in Concord, weedfamilyautomotive.com. We're talking about uh, wintertime driving and how you should prepare yourself. And I guess another uh, key is to keep at least uh, half a tank of gas uh, at all times. Yes, no doubt. I mean... We have seen situations recently, uh, I I want to point to the Virginia incident with all of a sudden they had, you know, a a foot of snow and all these people were stranded on the interstate. Uh, So you don't know that you're driving into a situation similar to that. So all of a sudden, if you're one of these folks that likes to drive around with a low fuel light on, and now you've got to be in a place for, in some cases, I think it was 12 plus hours. Yeah. Uh, these folks oh, were yeah. down there. Yeah. Uh, it begs all the questions for me that, you know, how could they not have known this was coming, but that's a different story. You know, so I think you have to go into this being prepared, you know, with at least, you know, a quarter of a tank, no less than a quarter of a tank, in my mind anyway, of fuel for wintertime driving, just in case you get into a situation where you're stuck on the road, stuck on the interstate. Uh, you never know what it's going to be or what the situation is going to be. So if nothing else, if you're able to uh, keep the car running because you've got enough fuel, then definitely uh, keep that that fuel level. A min- in my mind, a minimum of a quarter, you know, half a tank. And it depends on your, your travel habits and, and where you're going too. But uh, yeah, at least a minimum of a quarter of a tank. And it also helps to avoid uh, gas line freeze as well. That's one thing that I will say that we don't see really much of anymore. Okay. Uh, and as much as I don't like the ethanol, this is the one good thing uh, okay. that it has brought about <laughs> is that the uh, ethanol obviously is an alcohol base, which is what dry gas is. We used to put dry gas in the cars Christie's all the time. Christie's dry gas. Yeah, right? There you yeah. go, right? <laughs> you don't do that anymore. No, we, no. we very seldomly have a need to put the dry gas in. Uh, the ethanol will absorb whatever moisture is in the tank for the most part, unless you have an excess amount of water in there. Um, but the ethanol will absorb that up and take care of that. Uh, that is the one and only, I'll call it redeeming quality that, that I can tell you of with ethanol, ethanol fuel. Right, right. Okay. Because I, I know you have, have never been a fan of ethanol. So we'll, we'll go into that uh, some other day when, when we chat. But uh, uh so if I walked into an automotive parts store right now, I would not find Christie's dry gas. Well, you would find dry gas. I'm not yeah. sure it would be Christie's, so no. to speak. Oh, okay. You would find it, but I think you'd probably have to search for it. It's not going to be front and center like it used to be. Okay. So uh, other items to think of, uh, your cars, j- just is to clear off like the external cameras on mm. your car so you know where you're going and what's around you, <laughs> you know, because they can, they can become kind of dirty too in, in this kind of weather. They can, but you know, I, I still think that that's one of those pieces of technology that in my mind, 
you're trying to take that human factor out. You're trying to take that load off the driver. When, in, in my mind, that you should have done a quick walk around your car before you get in to make sure there's nothing around it. The kids mm-hmm. haven't left a bicycle right. or sled or right. something behind yeah. it. And then mirrors. Use your mirrors. Make sure you can you know clear the mirrors off and whatnot because there's going to be more times for us in New England where that backup camera or those cameras are going to be covered in salt and dirt and whatnot. Uh, and just not be able to function the way that they should. I mean, I was backing a car out of the shop today, and the backup camera was totally useless because the car was covered in, in road salt. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So we resort to guess what? Good old fashioned common sense and mirrors, and you know, clear the area behind you. Make sure you can see through the mirrors, and 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 do that. Uh, so it's one piece of technology that I personally don't want to rely on. Uh, right. It is handy and it, it does have its place uh, in our car. Uh, there are some things that I like it for, but I think to make sure that the mirrors and everything around you uh, are clear and good to go. There you go. And uh, but a lot of people do rely on those cameras. Yes. And uh, yes. you know, hearing those beeps when they get close to somebody else, right? <laughs> I, I I don't have that kind of technology in my vehicle. The beeps, anyway. I have a you know a backup camera, but mm-hmm. uh, that's that's about it. Also. Uh, as you pointed out a moment ago, just remove all the snow and ice from your entire vehicle, not yes. just the mirrors uh, and that sort of the windows, but especially the roof uh, of the vehicle. And sometimes that's not an easy thing to do, especially in, uh, you know, the hard, icy snow we get sometimes that pack on the, the, the car. But they have Jessica's, laws, uh, Jessica's Law now in, in New Hampshire. Uh, so clear those roofs of, uh, of any snow and ice. No doubt. And, uh, you know. My wife made the comment to me the other day, I have uh, my Chevy Suburban, and I had to clear the roof off. And so I went out, and I let the car run with the heat going for probably about an hour, because I had that heavy ice crust on yeah, it. Yeah. So it ran for you know better part of an hour with the heat going, so the inside of the car is roasting hot. But guess what? I was able to take my snow broom, a nice piece of equipment to have, yes, yeah. and clear almost everything off in about two shots. It just slid it right off the roof. After your car was running for an after hour. After it was right. running for about an hour. Right, right. right. But that, still. Yeah, no, that, that's, uh, you know, the, what most people do. Uh, that's what I do, I know. Uh, but how about warming up your car? I mean, if you're in an, in an open area, uh, you're not in the garage with the doors closed, uh, <laughs> is it going to hurt I, should, I shouldn't laugh. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> is it going to hurt anybody? What are the do's and don'ts? Where shouldn't you warm up your vehicle? Well, in, in any enclosed area, I mean, if you're going to... Warm it up in the garage. Make sure the garage doors are wide open. And if, particularly if the garage is attached to the house, uh, I would back it out of the garage personally just for that extra measure yeah. of safety. Unless you've got extra garage doors for circulation, front, back, or windows you can open. Ideally, you know, unless it's storming out or something horrible, back the car out of the garage. Play it safe. I think that's the, the best thing to... Obviously, warm it up in an enclosed area is just not a great idea. Not at all. No. Not, not at all. Uh, how about the driving itself? Uh, should you use cruise control in, in slippery, wintry conditions? I, I would say no. Okay. No. Uh, you know, obviously, they have the uh, distance following cruise control and uh, adaptive cruise control, they call it. But uh, in winter conditions, there really should be no reason for that cruise control to be on. Uh, particularly when it's snowing and not icy out and whatnot. We see too many other things happen. I think that's one of the key factors of keeping control of your vehicles, uh, being able to let off the gas immediately. You know, and sometimes 
having to shut the cruise control off or even step on the brake because the cruise is on. It takes that extra maybe five seconds, 10 seconds to get your foot to the brake pedal. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas if it was right there next to the, on the gas and your brake is right there, sometimes that five seconds is oh, yeah. a, a lot of time, a, a, yeah. a lifetime. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Uh, how about in terms of accelerating and decelerating during slippery, wet conditions? Should you take a little extra time in, in doing both of those things? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think, you know, to give yourself an extra couple hundred feet uh, of slowdown time or acceleration time uh, is definitely key to, you know, A, finding out what truly the road conditions are. You know, in the city, you know, it probably not as much, you're not getting up to those high speeds if you're on the highway. Yeah, definitely. You know, those road conditions change uh, from minute to minute. Yeah. You know, we, my wife and I were up in uh, Errol a couple weeks ago, and we were coming back. Uh, when we left the camp, it was just starting to snow. It just started changing from rain to snow. And so we were going down uh, 16, down through 13-mile woods, mm -hmm. and every five miles, the road conditions were different. Yeah. From, you know, wet and clear to snow-covered, you know, all the way down through it was different, you know, so... We see the same thing up here on the interstate. You know, one mile, it might be just wet roads, or all of a sudden, it's ice. You just, you never know. So I think, you know, the biggest key is to keep your distance, you know, yeah. Yeah. from that car in front of you or behind you. If you can, you know, give yourself an extra couple hundred feet or more, mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be the difference for you, possibly, of not getting in that hundred car pile up. No, I mean, it is very true. And, uh, you know, in increasing the, uh, the following distances is, is you know, essential in, in bad weather. But then you get this guy that's uh, in back of you uh, right up your tailpipe in mm -hmm. these conditions. I mean, what do you do about that? I mean, <laughs> I, you either and, slow and, down yeah. even more and let him go around you. Yeah, really. You know. Or pull over and let him go by yeah. you. I, you yeah. know, I guess that's about all, all you can do. But, uh you know the uh, you can't avoid sometimes as as good a driver as uh, you may be, and I don't consider myself a great driver. I, you are, but uh, what do you do when you get into a skid? I mean, sometimes you just can't avoid it. No, you can't. What, what do you do? Every, What's the best advice you you could give people about that? Well, I, I would tell you, you know, with the technology in the cars these days, uh, we used to pump the pedal and and so on and so forth. You know, you can steer your way out of a skid. You know, so you want to go typically op opposite the skid, uh, but just keep steady pressure on the brakes. Let the technology in the car do what it's supposed to as far as getting you stopped. Uh, the ABS systems in the cars nowadays are so much further ahead than what we had when they first came out in, in the 90s. And I would say just hold your, you know, steady pressure on that brake pedal. Steady pressure. And if you can start to steer your way out of that skid, then carefully do that. Every situation is different. Yeah. Uh, and I can't give you a, a, a blanket statement that would cover every situation. Um, no, no, obviously not. So no. I would say just, you know, again, steady pressure on the brake pedal, let the ABS system do its work. And, you know, hopefully you've got all wheel drive in the car and that will help. Uh, these systems do not prevent you from getting into a, an accident. So you still have to, you know, keep your distance, slow down and just be safe. 
But there are, as you pointed out with the ABS, some safety features that are already built uh, into the vehicles, which we didn't have the luxury of years ago. Yes, exactly. I mean, it used yeah. to just be an anti-lock brake feature. Now they've got traction control built into it and several other features that do make a big difference. And so they've tied two or three different systems together to make an all-inclusive for, you know, traction control, for ABS, for, you know, better steering and stability and whatnot. So we have some technology now that is working for us if you get into those situations. But obviously, your your best prescription is to avoid and try and stay out of those situations as much as possible. Exactly. And if you possibly can, uh, don't stop in these conditions when you're going uphill, right? Uh, <laughs> if you can possibly avoid that, uh, don't don't stop uh, when you are on an incline. That, that would be uh, my advice and probably yours, too. Uh, we are going to take a quick break here. Dan Weed is with us from Weed Family Automotive, 124 Store Street in Concord, WeedFamilyAutomotive.com. It's Kale & Company on WKXL, New Hampshire Talk Radio, talking about what matters to you. Welcome back to 1450 AM WKXL, 103.9 on the FM dial, 101.9 FM. A relatively new signal into downtown Manchester and beyond. Kale & Company presented by Weed Family Automotive, 124 Store Street in Concord. Give them a call. Make an appointment. 603-225-7988 is the number to call. Or you can make an appointment at uh, weedfamilyautomotive.com. And they're on Facebook as well. And uh, Twitter, too, if I'm not mistaken. Once in a while. <laughs> yes. Before the show, Dan, we were chatting just a moment before uh, we went on about some changes, we sh shall say, or put it that way, uh, 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 that uh, insurance companies are, are you know, uh, implementing these days. Let, let's put it that way. Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, one of the considerations, obviously, with winter driving is what, what do you do when you get in an accident, right? Yeah. Obviously, there's a couple of key phone numbers that you'd like to have is either your repair shop or if you have a body shop that you've used in the past, uh, make sure you have th that contact information and possibly a local towing company. Uh, so you might not have them in your phone. Uh, you might not have cell service, but maybe keep a little card with some phone numbers handy in the glove box along with a safety kit. So in the incidents that, all right, we got to make arrangements, get the car towed in, you want to start an insurance claim. Now I want to keep in mind that it is your car, and you pay for that insurance policy with your own money. Your insurance company will typically try and steer you to certain body shops. Uh, they're no pun they're, intended, folks. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe there was. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, okay. You know, and so yeah. they, they want to try and uh, push you to certain shops yeah. to, because they're their preferred vendor or whatever you want, want to call it. Uh, keep in mind, this is your car. You can do bring it wherever you want. That's entirely up to you. That's your choice. Uh if you have a favorite body shop, make sure it goes there with people you're comfortable with. Uh, then you have to advocate for yourself. Um, we ran into a situation we were helping a customer out, um, and she got into a little fender bender, uh, and then immediately the insurance company wanted to total the car. They wanted to just cut her a check, total the car, and have it hauled away. With a fender bender. Yeah, Basically, yeah. 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 And, I mean, within several hours, we were getting phone calls from the salvage company wanted to come pick up the car. And we're like, well, time out here. I mean, first off, the, the claim hasn't been settled. The customer hasn't agreed to have the car totaled. Um, and, you know, of course, this was a new situation to her and, you know, wasn't familiar with everything. And one of the options you have is to actually buy that car back from the insurance company and fix it on your own. 
which is something that the insurance company never offered this mm. this customer. Um, and so, because we had talked about that a little bit, she was insistent on keeping the car. The car was in nice shape. She's had it since it was new. Uh, we'd serviced it for a number of years and it was worth fixing. And especially given the market that's out there now for cars and right. still still exists out there, mm -hmm. there's little or no inventory. And there's no way that with whatever they were going to give her for a claim, she was going to be able to go out and buy a new car or replace that car. Right. Um, and so this is another situation, much like uh, going to the doctors, you have to advocate for yourself uh, dealing with the insurance company. Make sure you know exactly what's going on. Uh, you know, if you want to use aftermarket parts, great. You can use aftermarket parts. Mm -hmm. You can use factory parts. Make sure you know your options. Uh, ask the questions and find out. Don't let them just, you know, write your check and haul the car off and total it without you knowing, mm. all right, well, what's the value of that car and what's it going to cost me to replace? Because uh, one of the things that I found out over the years is some of these insurance policies have a replacement clause in them, or they used to have a replacement clause, uh, so that if you paid X number of dollars in your premium, or was part of your premium in your policy, that if you had to go out and replace that vehicle, whatever you had to pay to replace it, the insurance company would pay you for. So, you know, it's one of those things you got to read the policy carefully, uh, have it handy so that if, in case you do get an accident, uh, you have something to go over and look over it with you. I, I ran into that replacement situation with a, a camper that we had. Uh, the mice had gotten in there and chewed up the canvas in the camper and they were wanted to be really quick to settle on the claim. And I'm like, great, I'll go out and start shopping for my camp, my brand new camper. And they're like, well, what are you talking about? I says, well, right here in my policy, there's a replacement clause that says, you're going to pay uh, if I have to replace the camper. And they're all of a sudden, now they're scrambling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's one of the things that we don't often... I think pay close enough attention to is what do we actually have for coverage on that policy? Um, that is so true, isn't it? I mean, and uh, I would be willing to wager that the majority of people probably do not have, you know, what they have, what coverage they have. I mean, they know what insurance company they deal with, right. but they don't know all the details of the policy mm -hmm. that they have, and they probably don't have it in in the glove box. Or even at home, you know, it's, you know, some, somewhere where it's readily accessible in case yeah. you need it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I often begin to wonder, we see all these commercials on TV and stuff, you know, we can save you this much and save you that much and, and whatnot, but what right. are yeah. you truly compromising for that price? Yeah. No, no, exactly. So, well, why do you think the insurance companies now are, are as anxious as they are to, to total vehicles for a relatively um, minor accident or, I, I mi think or minor damage? In this case, to be honest, with you, I think that in some way, shape, or form, they were going to profit from it, you know, and, and, and selling that car off as, as salvage value. Yeah. Uh, there's still, you know, even though the car is crashed, uh, there's still many good parts on that car to be sold. And like I said, the recycling yard was already calling us up to say, we want to come get this thing. Um, and we're like, no, this isn't happening right now. So, you know, we were at the same time telling the insurance company in the salvage yard, no, you can't do this, but also trying to uh, help our customer out and advocate yeah. for our customer to make sure that they got the best option for them as far as, you know, keeping the car, fixing it, or, all right, no, this thing's not worth fixing. We're just going to send this off. But, you know, we can't just scrap it over a, a minor incident, I'll call it. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, uh, was it, you know, relatively fixable? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. 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 So, and then that was her option. She, you know, yeah. she wanted to keep the car and fix it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was still going to be several thousand dollars, but in the end, that was the best option for her. Yeah. But you know, without us helping her out and, and 
advocating for her. Uh, I think the insurance company would have just written a check, sent this thing off, and you know it wasn't the best option for her. All right. So know your policy, folks. Know your policy. Know your coverage. Yeah. Uh, and I think you know having a good agent too. Your your agent yeah. should be able to walk you through situations like this to say what's the best avenue for me yeah. as far as getting this taken care of. Yeah. I mean, if you have a local agent, that's great. Uh, but there are so many conglomerates these days. Yes. That sell insurance. Yeah. So many major companies that you see on TV all the time, as Dan alluded to. I mean, they don't perhaps give you uh, the kind of help that you would get from a a local uh, insurance agent. I I think that you might spend a little bit more dealing with a local company, but that you you have that person that you can pick up the phone, call and talk to. uh, And if something happens, they're going to be there to advocate for you and help you through any type of claims process that you might have. So I think there's truly a, a benefit to, in this case, paying maybe a little bit extra to have that mm-hmm. personal contact, somebody you can call and walk you through that that process and whatever it takes to get that claim settled, whether it's your car or anything else. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really important to know your coverage, know your representative, uh, and, and keep it local. Yeah, absolutely. Dan Weed with us from Weed Family Automotive. We're heading down the home stretch of uh, today's Kale & Company. Thanks for joining us here at 1450 AM WKXL. 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 in the Manchester area, presented by Weed Family Automotive, 124 Store Street in Concord. You can give them a call, make an appointment, 603-225-7988, weedfamilyautomotive.com. Welcome back. We are you know, just running out of time here. Uh, we've had a great discussion today with uh, Dan Weed about how to approach winter and uh, cold weather driving here. Weed Family Automotive, the proud sponsor of uh, Kale & Company at 124 Store Street in Concord here on WKXL. And uh, Dan, anything else we should know about going on in the automotive industry these days? Our world is ever-changing in the automotive <laughs> industry. You know, the, the biggest thing for us right now is obviously, you know, supply chain issues, dealing with parts and whatnot. Uh New and used car inventories are still struggling real bad out there. Um, and there's a st- still a huge push for the electric vehicles to come out. Uh, you know, GM has announced recently that they're coming out with the electric pickup to uh, compete against Fords. Uh, I think the the Rivian truck is now out and in production at this point. And you know my long history with snowmobiles. There is now a, a production electric snowmobile out there. Really? Too. Yes. Really? Yes. Uh, are you going to jump on board that? I wouldn't mind driving it yeah. to just to see what it's like. I'm right. not sure that I'll have that opportunity. They're uh, being you know released in limited numbers at this point. But uh, they're they're out there. They're being built and and sold. They're ready for full production at this point. So it'd be uh, curious to see how well those take off. They have a, a limited range. I think it was around two hundred miles. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, that'd be very quiet too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a little different. <laughs> yeah. How about the snowmobiling out there uh, right now as we record this in early January? Uh, we have limited trail openings right now. Most of it's in the North Country. Uh, Pittsburgh opened up last week. Uh, Errol, the Umbagog Snowmobile Association, so the Errol Club, announced yesterday that they, they had limited openings in certain trails. Uh, I know the in-town trails were still pretty light on coverage, but some of the backcountry trails had good coverage. Down here, we still haven't opened our trails up uh, as far as the Bolt Club is concerned. And our surrounding clubs haven't opened, as far as I know, either. Just not enough snow yet. Uh, we're still crossing our fingers. I'm not holding yeah. my breath. but 
We need some snow. We, we do need oh, yes. uh, some more snow to get some other winter activities out there. I know the ski areas have been busy. They've had some nice cold weather to make snow, uh, but our trail uh, access is limited as far as snowmobiling. There's been people out walking and cross-country skiing a little bit, so that's out there. But right now, uh, snowmobiling in the southern half of the state uh, is, is limited. Well, hopefully by the next time we chat, it will be better for the uh, folks who like to uh, snowmobile in the southern tier uh, of New Hampshire. Dan Weed, always a pleasure to have you with us. So thanks for being with us today. Look forward to chatting again in the not-too-distant future. Uh, you're welcome. It's great to be back. Dale & Company on WKXL presented by Weed Family Automotive. Check them out at weedfamilyautomotive.com.